may be seated. I was thinking as there the music was going on, I was I usually pick a psalms to read, and I said, did I pick the psalms? But I did. Pat, I did. <laughs> uh, I might not read it all, but it's Psalms 29, a psalm of David. Psalms 29. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. The Lord sits at his king as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people the Lord would bless his people with peace. Continue to pray for the nation of Israel. Continue to pray that the Lord's will will be done. That his will will be done. Lord, once again, we welcome you here. We need you. Whether we realize it or not, we need you. So I pray that hearts will be open, that hearts will be pliable, that when the word is spoken, the word would fall on good ground and produce a fruit for your glory once again. In Jesus' name we pray. We're in uh, Hebrews chapter 3, but I am going to back up to verse 18 of chapter 2, but you can stay in chapter 3 if you want to. It's not going to be much said there. Speaking in regards one of his exhortations to you and I, verse 18 of chapter 2 said, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. That's all of his kids. Now, it says, yet without sin in Hebrews 4.15, we give in to temptation sometimes, but not Jesus. He never did. We looked at that last week, the just weights and balances of God has been satisfied in regards to Christ and that in that, he is a faithful and merciful high priest to God, to things pertaining to God. He's able as a priest to stand before God on our behalf because he's finished his work. Hebrews 1 Verse 3 says, when he had by himself purged our sins, not his, he didn't have any, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus has paid the price. He's paid our sin debt. Now it says, in regards to you and I, for that, he himself has, has suffered. Notice this being tempted. 
Jesus Christ suffered being tempted yet without sin. Once again, he knows what it's like, Jesus does, to be cold. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. He knows what it's like to be tired, to be accused of being a glutton and a drunkard when he had no such thing. He knows what it's like to have his mother accused of being immoral. One of the Pharisees says that he was born in fornication. He knows what it's like to be forsaken of his best friend. He knows what it's like to be hurt by the people closest to him. He was tempted. And because of that, he is able now, the King James says the sucker could have used a better word. It means run to the aid. It's when you hear a child crying to run to give aid. So he is able to run to give aid to them that are tempted. Are you tempted by anything this morning? Are you tempted because someone may have hurt you? Are you tempted to vengeance? Are you tempted in your hunger and thirst for provision in your life? Are you tempted sexually? Are you tempted in one thing or another? He will run to you. That's what it says here. Not only do we have a faithful high priest that goes to God on our behalf, because the wrath of God, once again, has been satisfied regarding our sin, but we have a faithful high priest who will come to us because he himself was tempted. He understands, and he runs to us if we call out to him. And remember, he's answering the question in the mind of the Hebrew believers, why did he have to become a man? Why did he have to be lower in the sense that he became a man, lower than the angels, to, and we talked about this last week, to identify with humanity? Once again, it wouldn't have been right. It wouldn't have been equal. It wouldn't have been fair for Jesus Christ to come down here and he could have used all of his powers to defeat Satan. That wouldn't have been fair. My God's fair. That's why it's so important that we understand Jesus Christ came down here as a man. The only powers he ever used is when the Holy Spirit came upon him to do things. That's why, once again, he told his, his boys while they were around, probably around a campfire, you, you, you're giving Satan too much press here. All you have to be is a man or a woman born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and letting the word have an effect on you, and you can defeat Satan too. That's what he's telling them. So chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Therefore, knowing all of this, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider, fix your thoughts upon the apostle, the one who has been sent by God. He wasn't just born. Christmas season is coming upon us quickly. Unto us, a child is born. Isaiah said, 
Unto us a son is given. He existed before his birth, pre-existence. He is both sent as an apostle and high priest of our confession. Verse 2 says, who was faithful to him, who appointed him. He was faithful to God, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. So the next question was, what about Moses? You've taken care of the angels for us, but what about Moses? We understand that he's better than the angels, but what are we supposed to do about Moses? Are you supposed to turn away? Are we supposed to turn away from the Torah? What about our heritage, the Jew would say? What about, you know, we're Hebrews. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah now, but what do we do? What about Moses? What about following the law? It says in the latter part of verse 1, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him as Moses also was faithful. So he's not throwing shade on Moses, not at all. He's saying Moses was faithful. Moses, remember, he was called the servant of the Lord, died at 120 years of age. It says about Moses in Deuteronomy, his eyes was not dim. His natural forces were not abated. I'm beginning to think my mom is Moses. She, 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 she's still the same. But he's trying to get them to understand that Moses was faithful. Joshua, what about him when he died? The highest compliment a believer could be, get paid. Joshua, the servant of the Lord, died. He's not bad-mouthing Moses. He's saying Moses was faithful in all of his house. Now, Moses, you know, if you know, have you read the Bible before, he didn't have a house. He lived in a tent. So when he, we hear the word house and household, we're talking about family. We're talking about the household of faith. We're talking about Israel. And we're also talking about the church. That's what the house means. He says, Moses also was faithful in all his house, verse 3, for this one, speaking of Jesus Christ, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. So what he's saying, the contractor, the one who builds the house, gets more honor than the house itself. I don't think you'd walk up to this beautiful mansion and say, man, I love that you have four bathrooms and you have a large kitchen that you could probably pull out a lawn chair and sit there in the kitchen while Lydia does the cooking. You wouldn't say that. You would go to the contractor and boast on him. That's why the Jews have it wrong here. Christ, he's letting them know, built the house. Matter of fact, Revelation 22, 16 says, Jesus speaking, I am the root. I am the beginning and the offspring. I came forth from David. The household of faith is his. He built it. Jesus says, upon this rock shall I build my church. He's the builder, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 4, every, for every house is builded by someone. You don't glorify the house. But he that built all things is God. 
And Moses indeed was faithful in his house as a servant. Now he's telling us that Christ is not ashamed to call us brethren. We're joint heirs for a testimony of the things which would be spoken afterward. Verse 6, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house, notice, we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end, firm to the end. So he's challenging these Hebrews here, these Hebrew believers. Yes, Moses was a servant in the house. They're saying, what about Moses? Yes, Moses was faithful. He was God's servant. He was faithful and he communicated those things that were necessary. But they were related to the things that were coming afterwards. Moses was a servant in God's house, but Christ once again is the son over the house. He is the heir. He's not the servant in the house. The entire house itself belongs to him. Whose house notice we are. And the writer now writing to the first century, and he's speaking to us as well, in the midst of all of this, individually and corporately, We are the temple of the Holy Spirit as individual members also. But this key word, he says in verse 6, he says, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Once again, we've been talking about these classes of ifs in the Greek. And this if means if you continue to follow the Lord. It depends if you continue to press on. Once again, you, you, it, it's really not you get the ticket, then you can set on your laurels and say, hey, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I can go out here and live any way I want to. Find that in the scriptures and I'll, I'll, I'll change my mind. But until you find that, I cannot change my mind. The Bible does not say that. I've looked. If you have a choice, Now that you're saved, if you walk and continue to follow the Lord, not that you're perfect, but you're walking in a sphere of righteousness, you're doing those things, you don't have any problem. That's why he's admonishing, exhorting these Hebrews. You're saved now. You've accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah, your Lord and Savior. And even though you hear these bells and whistles and all the things Judaism is calling for you to do and wanting you to do, don't turn back. Because Judaism doesn't save anyone. Don't turn back to all of these bells and whistles. Continue to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the if is pertinent. That's why it's there. Now, the second exhortation comes in verse 7, and it runs pretty much through the rest of the chapter. The exhortation is in regards to unbelief. And it's if you continue to drift, continue to drift, and continue to drift, ultimately, you will wind up, end up in unbelief. And unbelief is not the same as doubt. I have many doubts. Lord, why did you make make it this way? Why, Why did you let this happen and all that? But the answers are always found in the Scriptures. Or if you sit along with the Lord, he'll give you the answer. But this is a walk of faith. This is a walk of faith. And they drifted so much, the nation of Israel, the children of Israel for these 40 years, 
it turned to unbelief. You can doubt things. That's okay. You can tell the Lord, I don't understand. I'm doubting right now, Lord. I want to know. It's not the same, once again, as unbelief. Unbelief will not let you go to the Lord and just say, hey, I don't believe you. I'm giving up. I'm going the other way. And that's why it says in verse 7, the latter part of verse 7, therefore, here's the admonishment, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion, in the day of trial, in the wilderness. He's, he's quotes from Psalms 95 here, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry at that generation and said, they always go astray. Where do they go astray at? In their minds? No, in their hearts. The heart will always make a convert of the mind. If you have something in your heart, you need, if, and if it's not good, and if it's not uh, equivalent to the words of the Lord in righteousness, you need to, Lord, help me get this bitterness out. Help me get this frustration out. Help me get this unforgiveness out. Because it will fool you. The heart will always make a convert of the mind. And they have not known my ways God said, they have not known my ways. Now, we're going to hear today in verses 7, in verse 13, and verse 14, because there's an exhortation. Then we're going to hear the word here in verse 7, uh, 15, and 16. And the challenge through these verses in the face of unbelief is to hear. You know, I'm just going to say it. It's amazing how you can say, just say things off the cuff and you say, oh, they're not listening anyway. But, but people do listen. Now, when you're saying things you really want them to hear, I hope you're paying attention then and now. But it usually works the opposite. Oh, he's just rambling. He's just saying things. They're not here. And then you say, uh, you, you, you slip and say something, and it seems like everyone hears. But hear this word. Hear this word this morning. In the face of unbelief, they need to hear. God is challenging us to hear. How are you hearing this morning? People might go crazy. We talked about this carp. I told you about this carp. People were worshiping. He was, they thought he was speaking Hebrew, and the guy finally killed it. And uh, hundreds of people came to this fish shop to look. And then I'm reminded once again of Chuck Swindoll saying that they went to a statue of Mary, and they, they said blood was coming down Mary's eye, and just people lined up just to see if this was true. When we have the word of God, if you want to hear and speak, he says, I've spoken all I'm going to speak in this age through my son, through his word. People get in all kinds of religious insanity. We're willing to take positions on things because the media enforces something. And here's the word of God. And how are we hearing this morning? Or are you saying, I can't wait till he finished? I've got to go somewhere and eat. I might be saying that too. Hold on to these eternal words. They're important. 
Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, latter part of verse 2 says, Behold, consider this, now is the accepted time. Right now. That's where we are. That's where we live. We live right now. Some people live in the past. That's not good. Some people can never get past the present. They're occupied. They're obsessive with every single thing that goes on right in front of them. Some people, all they can do is think about the future, and they're not thankful for anything that's happening today. I heard Warren Wiersbe say, some of us live in the indelible past. Some of us live in the impossible present. And some of us live in the invisible future. Some of us live in the indelible past. Indelible past. In other words, it can't be erased. Oh, I did this when I was 14. I did this when I was 19 years of old age, and I just can't get, I, I can't forgive myself of all that. You need to move on. If you've asked the Lord to forgive you, he's cleansed you, and you can go on and live. That's what he's saying here. And some people live in the past. Some people live in the present. All they can see is what's happening now. But then some people live in the future. They can't even enjoy the moment, worrying about how is, what's going to happen if I outlive my money? Well, the, the same God who gave you the money is the same God who can occupy you and fulfill you when it's gone. And so they're worried about all these things, and they can't enjoy what's happening now. Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 34, sufficient today the evil thereof. People borrow from the future so they can have agita today, so they can be apprehensive for today. The challenge is what are you doing right now that the Lord has given you this day to hear and this is an exhortation once again. It's not a condemnation, by the way. God loves us, who's done remarkable things for us, who has spoken to us, who has given us his word, who has made us his household, who is not ashamed, once again, to call us brethren, who's paid our sin debt in full, that he might take away the sting. We looked at this last week of death. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to dread death. And he has something to say to us. And the remarkable thing is, you know, once again, this blows me away. He just doesn't love us. He likes us. And I love that about him. He, he, it's almost, it's his nature to love, but it's not his nature to like. He likes me. Sometimes in my house, I can say something. I can be so frustrated. No one in the house likes me at that moment. I look in the mirror, and I don't even like myself at that moment. But then I remember, God, you like me. You like me. You like me. Not only do you like me, you love me also. And that blows my mind. I'm amazed at that. And so this exhortation comes from his loving us and his like, like of us. It says in the latter part of verse 7, therefore, here it comes, as the Holy Spirit says today, now, if you will hear his voice, are we willing to hear his voice? God Almighty stoops down to you and I as individuals. 
He stoops down to us corporately. And then he says, do not harden your hearts. It's something we do. We can do it so often. We can do it without even realizing we're doing it. When things don't turn out the way we thought they should turn out. If something goes sideways when we thought it was thinking it wouldn't, we begin to harden our hearts. When someone says something to us that you say, why did they they say that? And your heart is easily, it begins to get hardened. And he's admonishing, he's exhorting these Hebrews, do not harden your hearts. I think it was the father who told Israel they were in a bad situation. They were about to get taken away to Babylon. And he speaks this to Jeremiah. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Even when they thought everything was against them, even when they thought they would never get straightened out again, God is saying, hey, I'm with you. I'm directing you. Verse 8 says, so he says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial, in the wilderness, notice, where your fathers tested me, tried me. Since my mom here, I can, she can amen to this. I was, the, I was the bad boy of the family. I got more whippings than anyone. And I can remember because she usually gave us more spankings than daddy. And as she was whipping me, she said, you tried me, you tested me, I've told you, I've told you. Well, that's what God is saying right here. He's saying, and he, he's saying where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. People say, you know, if I could see a leper cleansed, I would believe. If I could see somebody rebuke the wind and the sea, then I would believe. It doesn't work like that. No, no, no. God is saying it doesn't work like that. The emphasis is on the hearing, not on the seeing. Will you hear this morning? The word of God is where the power is. Because I see people go through all kinds of situations in the church. Thinking that God has forsaken them. And then after a little bit, after a year or two, he's put things together that they thought could never come together. And they dig into the word. That's what the Lord is saying. It's not what you see. You have to place everything in the grid, your life, of this word and hold on to it and believe it by faith. And God will turn things around as they make sense out of it because God gives them something out of his word that they're changed and something indelible is sown. It can't be erased. It can't be removed within their spirit and in their being. But if we just try to, you know, gauge things off experience, then for 40 years, every day, remember, there was a pillar of cloud that went in front of them, you know, and there was a fire by night that went with them also. Then every night, that pillar of fire kept them warm, and it kept the enemies away from them. 
And if you got frustrated or if you begin to lose faith, you just go outside and sit at your tent door and you would see that pillar of fire. God says, I'm showing you something. Your food fell from the sky for 40 years. The manna fell every day, except for the seventh day. It fell enough on the sixth day for the two days. You're in a desert. There's nothing to drink. And you would hit a rock. And we think when, when, when you hit the rock, that you, you had a cup and you just got your water fountain. No. If you read, read it, gushes of water would come out. Rivers of water would come out. They would do the things they had to do with that water. They did all that. They saw this. This is my point. They saw the frogs in Egypt and the lice and the water turned to blood. Think of all these things they're seeing. They crossed over the Jordan River to come into the promised land. Yet, when they were in the wilderness, they turned away in unbelief. We say, if I could see this, if I could experience this, God says, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. This is about the finality of my speech, of my word. God speaks. When does he speak? He speaks now, right in this room, right now. Is it through me? No, 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 no. It's his word that's speaking to us, his spirit. He uses words. He affirms his love and his truth to us. Do we turn away in unbelief? If we let ourselves drift, are we asking ourselves those questions? Are we going to turn away and go out in the world and sin tomorrow? Are we hardening our hearts? He says in verse 7 again, as the Holy Spirit says, do not harden your hearts today if you will hear his voice. Right now, he's pleading with us. Verse 9, he says, they saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always in their heart. They have not known my ways. That's the, that's the problem. They have not known his ways. Psalms 103.7 says, he made known his ways to Moses. His acts or his works to the children of Israel. That's two different things I just said. He made his, known his ways to Moses, but the rest of them, they knew him by his acts. The children of Israel saw his works. It didn't do them any good. But Moses, I'm trying to pinpoint this, knew God's ways. And don't let that slide by you. Moses knew his ways. I think of my wife and my two kids. Somebody else might misinterpret them. But I don't, because I know their ways. I know the code. When Lydia says, hey, do you want to go to Walmart with me? I finally broke the code. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to go. Let's go, let's go. That spares me all of the trouble if I say no later on. I finally broke that code, so I know her ways. If she says once again, hey, you want to do this? I say, yeah, I sure do. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> If I want peace later on. 
Because I know her ways. That's what I'm trying to understand, get you to understand. Not just what she does. God had performed all of these miracles for the children of Israel for 40 years. But only Moses knew his ways. There are times I'm not sure with my children. I mean, I think of Anthony. I know his ways also. When he gets, when I, when he calls me and I get on the phone with him, if he's laughing and joking and just blah, 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 like he does, I know his ways. I know if he comes after me like that, I can let that tight grip of my wallet go. <laughs> but when, hey, daddy, I got to talk to you about something. When, it stu- when he comes with me like that, I say, oh, he's, he's wanting something. Let me, let, let me watch out what he's doing. But I know his ways. And that's what God is saying to us. You can read his word all day, and that's good and well. But there's times where you need to sit with the TV off and say, Lord, speak to me. I want to know you. I want to know your ways. So when the world is flipped upside down on you, he's spoken to you enough, you know his voice. I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years. I kind of know his ways. I kind of know when I hear him speak to me, that was from you, Lord. Thank you for letting me hear your voice. Thank you for putting that impression on my heart. I know your ways. It takes more, and, and that takes time. That time. That takes time being in the scriptures. That takes time in prayer. It takes time in all those things. I don't have to see a miracle. I don't have to hear a carp speaking. This word of God, and he lays impressions on my heart, and I know his ways. And that's what God is trying to tell the children of Israel. Yes, Moses was faithful, but look at the children of Israel under Moses. They couldn't get it right. Why do you want to go back under Moses now, the writer of Hebrews is saying? The law is not what enables you. It's my son, Jesus Christ, the heir of all things the Savior who died in your place. Verse 11 says, So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Now look in the Bible. The land of Canaan, and we learned this and we studied this in the book of Joshua, is not the promised land. The promised land is not when you get to heaven because I don't think there's going to be any giants. You're not going to have to battle. You're not going to have any temptations. You're not going to have any of those things in heaven. But the believer, if we yield to the Lord as best we can and obey him, we live in the promised land now. You're blessed now because you're obedient to the Lord. That's the promise. This is what this should be. Yes, you have to fight giants down here. Many obstacles are down here. But if we're being led by the Holy Spirit, we'll have victory. That's all he's saying here. And he's telling them, why do you want to go back under the law? I've squashed all of that. Verse 12 says, beware, brethren. The writer still saying, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God because once again, they're, one, they're, they're almost ready to turn and go back to Judaism. They hear that beautiful music. They see all these sacrifices 
and they're wanting to go back. I want, did you catch that? He said an evil heart. He didn't say this sin or that sin. He didn't say an evil heart of lust or pornography, not an evil heart of gossiping or drunkenness or gambling or an evil heart of drug abuse or violence. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses all of that away, but not an evil heart of unbelief. And that's what this writer is warning them about. No help for you if you have an evil heart of unbelief because the heart of the problem is always the problem of the heart. Because if we have a heart of unbelief, that's evil. It leads us into the things and it defines it right here. It says in verse 12, the latter part, in departing from the living God. That's what an evil heart of unbelief will do. Sooner or later, you don't believe, you don't believe, you don't believe, and that's sealed. That's what he's saying. Do we believe that he is a living God this morning? Or do you believe he's up there and he's disassociated with us? Unbelief will do that. Say you're, you've had a bad day at work, jump in the car, you're headed home, then all of a sudden the flesh jumps on you, or maybe even Satan this time. You know, I don't pay him too much attention to Satan. I, he, he, he's too busy worrying about the big dogs than worry about me. My flesh is bad enough. But I'm driving on my way home, and all of a sudden, then I can't believe I had a rotten day at work. Let me pull into this pub and get me a beer or something. Let me get, get me a drink. The living God is sitting right beside me. Lord, would you just close your eyes? I'm just going to be in here for about 30 minutes. Get me a couple of drinks. Come back out. If he's the living God, am I going to do that? If he's that powerful to me and knowing what he's did for me to set me free from drugs and alcohol and all those things, and I'm having this conversation with, Lord, just close your eyes. I'll be back in 15 minutes. He'll wait. But it ought to be more than shame that takes over my heart when I get back to the car and he's waiting. It ought to be, Lord, you stooped down when nobody else would, when everybody else had given up on me and you called me. And you set me free from everything. And I'm going to just do you like that. That's what a living God will do for you. When someone has made you so upset that you, and you're known to just strike back and hit someone, and then the living God says, no, no, you can't do that anymore. If he's real, if he's living in my life, I have to drop them. Lord, you take care of them. That's what a living God does. Now, if you're just worried about a biblical God and, and, and you're reading and that's good and well once again, but it, what I'm trying to tell you, it takes more. You have to get these words off this page into your heart and you have to let the Holy Spirit begin to work in you and change your life around. That's spending time with the Lord. And that's what this world needs 
with everybody being called a Christian. You, you all know what cleft notes are. And the only reason I know my little two years I was in college, <laughs> I tried to use them. But th- th- these aren't cleft notes. You've got to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to sit with him alone sometimes and just say, Lord, speak to me. Because I'm mad, I'm frustrated, I'm, I'm all these things I shouldn't be. You've got to speak to me. And I guarantee you he will. If we sit there long enough, when the phone is there, when the outside voices are there, no, Lord, we've got to, you've got to get me straight because my heart is not straight now. I'm frustrated. I'm all these things, and you don't need a pastor. You need a child of God, and I need to hear from you. That's what Moses is telling, the writer of Hebrews is telling these people who are wanting to go back. You can have all of these uh, peripheral things, the the, the sacrifices, the music playing, everything, the, the incense and all that, and don't know the Lord. You need a still, small voice talking to you. He has to be the living God in your life. Besides, the Bible says all things are open and naked before the one with whom we have to do. He sees anyway. Are we going to be where we shouldn't? Are we going to be doing what we shouldn't do? Not because just of the shame, but because of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made in our life. We have to understand that he's the living God. How does our, the believer, commitment fare or compare? Are we loving? Are we willing to love? Are we willing to forgive? Are we willing to follow Jesus? Are we willing to yield to believe in him? This message is for me this morning. As we travel through this book of Hebrews... There's tremendous things here, but all of them require us getting to know Jesus Christ more, not from the periphery or the fringes area, but a close relationship with him. His first exhortation is don't drift, just be careful. Why is that exhortation given to us? Because we're prone to drift. He's not talking to ostriches. He's talking to human beings. And that's in our nature to drift. So we should take that as a warning. Even when the word of God is sown into our hearts, the Bible says the cares of this world, the the deceitfulness of riches, all those things, and we find ourselves drifting. Second exhortation is that we should be aware how we hear, that there shouldn't be any unbelief that we should be hearing in the present right now. Oh, I've done this terrible thing. Oh, I've done that. It's been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. How are we hearing this morning? He's been patient. He led the children of Israel for 40 years and 38 years. Two years when they started, they were turned away in Kadesh Barnea and he still led them. That's the God I know. 
That means, can you imagine God leading a group of people? I'm not good at logistics. That's why when we would go on mission trips, I would never plan. I always let Brian or someone, Pastor Brian, plan. Because you got to know, okay, you got to spend money here. You got to spend money there. Can you imagine two to three million people in the wilderness? The Bible says, I want you to catch this. Their clothes did not wear out or did their shoes wear out. I'm reminded because I always, and I love to dedicate little children. Can you imagine Joshua, Isaac, whatever he was wearing the day I, I, uh, I can't even think of the word now. What's the word? Come on, somebody tell me. Dedicated, yeah. Don't, hey, you know what happened. Dedicated him to me. I think about uh, Leah. What that scripture tells me that for 40 years, say Joshua Isaac had on a plaid shirt, a miracle every day. When Joshua Isaac grew three foot, four foot, five foot, the shirt did too. The shoes that he wore, whatever he had on his foot, when that would grow, the shoe would grow. That's a miracle. Can you imagine having on the same plaid shirt every day for 40 years? But the good thing is you, you, you never had to take it off. You, you just wore it. That's amazing to me. Two to three million people like that, and they still harden their heart. It's not about seeing. It's about knowing God's ways, and that takes time. That takes spending time with God. That, that takes you getting to know him and him getting to know you. That's the only way you can do it. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Are we hearing now? The worship team can come up. Are we hearing now? Never take God's word for granted and always listen to him. This relationship needs to be personal. I'm thinking of, of um, real quick, terrorist. Islam, we'll, we'll just use Islam. They don't even have the right God. Allah. He's, he's no God. And think of the things they do for their, their God. They strap bombs on their bodies, thinking they're going to go to paradise anyway, which is nothing but a lie. But they do that. That's how determined they are to worship their God. Now, y'all can get mad at me all you want to because I'm going to say what I want to say. And we trip over getting here on Wednesday evening. And I think of what they do for their God. A false God. We should serve the Lord Jesus Christ because we love him, and we should love him because of what he did for us. Dying on the cross when nobody else would, 
or when nobody else could, and coming back to life. And he sits at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for us because he loves us and he also likes us. And he's there waiting to give us aid anytime he call. We call out to him. Ready. Not only is he ready, but he's willing, he's able, and he can. Oh, that's why I love him. That's why I love him. Let's cultivate our walk with the Lord. Let's spend time with him. You will never be sorry if you spend time with him. He'll grow you. You'll become more like him. And, you, and we want to see Jesus smile. Let's pray. Father, Abba, Father. Lord, May everything that has breath praise your holy name. For you and you alone are worthy. Hmm. You and you alone are worthy. You have supplied my needs and many of my wants, not because I've been perfect, but that I'm in a personal relationship with you. You're a God I have placed all my trust. I put all my weight on you. And you're the God who's going to see me when I take my last breath and I'm going to live forever with you in your kingdom. That's what I pray for everyone here, Lord. It's not, once again, it's not about the now. It's about the then. Too many times we get caught up on the now. But Lord, let us think about the then. Let us think about the, the, the day or the night or the evening or the morning when you call us home. May we be ready. May all of us Live to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Because we have a great high priest who is ready to aid us in every need if we call out to him. He is faithful. Lord, give us a hunger and thirst for more of you each and every second of every day that we live on this earth. And we'll be sure to give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.